A lot of times, a great leader would actually be willing to listen. The problem is, we are scared to go talk to them. We feel that our jobs will be threatened. Plug into the minds of the world's cutting-edge innovators, visionaries, and thought leaders, rewriting the rules of high performance at work. It's your time to make an impact. I am your host, Jason Campbell, and this is Superhumans at Work, a Mind Valley podcast. We're about to get started with another amazing guest who's sharing incredible insights. And I want to make sure that you are aware that all of this is made possible by Mind Valley. And right now, Mind Valley has an amazing package that you can take advantage of called All Access. If you haven't heard of it before, this is basically getting every single quest of Mind Valley available to you for an annual price of under $600. And the best part is you can get started, have a test drive if you've never done a quest before, and see how amazing this transformational material is. If for any reason you feel is not what you're looking for, you're always eligible for a refund within the first 30 days. So I urge you to go to mindvalley.com forward slash superhuman. That way you'll be able to take advantage of this incredible offer and it will support our shows and free content such as superhumans at work that you get to listen to twice a week. So go in there, check out the quests that are available. All the information will be on that page, which is mindvalley.com forward slash superhuman, where you can also find this link in the show notes. And now let's get started with our episode. Hi, everybody. This is your host, Jason Mark Campbell. Welcome back to Superhumans at Work. And of course, if you're new to listening to the show, make sure that you subscribe. And if you love the content that we bring to you at Superhumans at Work, be sure to leave us a review as this supports us getting the message out to so many more people who are really looking to do the best that they can within the workplace by learning these skills around leadership, communication, productivity, and so much more. Now, what we're going to be talking about today is actually not as much of a skill that you want to develop as a superhuman, but it's things to also look out for if you're thriving to be the best in the workplace. And what will happen if you start working so many hours when you start having these changes that have happened in the environment, such as we've seen in 2020, a lot of us have been looking to work from home. Everyone has been forced to work from home. Now, what are some of the consequences we've seen from this shift happening when it comes to people's mental health, people's setting boundary, people seeing anxiety, burnout? There has been some issues of that. And what we want to do is have a conversation to look out for the signs, to make sure that you're well-equipped and that you're making the most that you can with the limitations that exist during these quarantine moments. And the guest that I have to speak about this is a returning guest, Ajit Nawalka, who's the co-founder of Evercoach, Mind Valley's platform when it comes to training coaches around the world. And being a coach himself, working with companies, he's seen this trend happening. A lot of people are wondering, what can I do to protect the health of my employees? And this is the conversation that we want to have today. And so it is my big pleasure to bring Ajit back to the show. Ajit, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for inviting me back, Jason. This is such an important conversation to have right now because like you rightly spotted, that right now is when we are starting to see and feel the burn of working from home or even if you're going back to office because some offices are returning, still experiencing what really is the after effect of the initial high of, all right, we're working from home. Maybe it's good for me to be with my family, to be with my kids. Maybe it was good for the first couple of weeks and you were leaning into it. But as now you've done that for six months, eight months at this point, people are starting to feel the after effects of not realizing how 
important it is to understand how to work from home and not just be excited about the idea of working from home. So I'm excited to have this conversation. Yeah, for sure. Because, you know, it sounded like all sunshines and rainbows and you have this, you know, these memes that come on the internet where you'll see like expectation versus reality. And it's kind of a tough pill to swallow when it comes to working from home. And so I'd love to maybe start with like, why are we having this conversation? Like, what is it that we're seeing? And what is it that people should be noticing? So they can particular catch themselves saying, hey, this is the way I've changed too. And these are signs that I'm seeing in my own health. So one of the biggest things that we are realizing is the cap on the work hours that people used to have naturally. So naturally, as you would imagine, Jason, and you talk to a lot of people who are in the space of leadership and work and work culture and so forth. So one of the things that naturally happens is you're a nine to five, even if it's nine to seven, there's a clock out. And usually when the clock clocks out, you take a drive back home. It's like an hour drive if you're in a busy city. If you're in remote, you still have some time to decompress, you take a train, you take some kind of mode of transport, you go to the house, you spend some time with family. There's naturally inbuilt relaxation time. There's naturally inbuilt disconnection time for you to not worry about your phone, your device, or just work-related stuff for at least four, five, six hours every single day until you go back into the routine. That has naturally been taken away because now what happens is people, and this is happening really poorly from leaders who were never very careful or understanding that leadership is about developing people and the people who have never really cared for that. What they're starting to do is they think, what else you got, right? You're sitting at home. You're just with your family all day. You have nothing better to do. Here is some more work. Here is something else that you should be doing. This is coming from fear, of course, because everybody thinks suddenly there are jobs that are at risk, and sometimes it is. A lot of it is coming from, I don't have anything better to do. You shouldn't have anything better to do. A lot of it is coming from people who are dissatisfied with their current situation and want to claim back home that they are really busy and they have a lot of work because they don't want to deal with their personal situations that are, of course, more evident because now you are at home a lot of times. All of these factors have compounded, and that's what I was talking about, the afterburn. The initial phase may have been the honeymoon phase where people were really appreciating that they could get lunch with their kids and dinner with their kids at the same time, which was a rare sight, only a Saturday-Sunday affair. Now they're experiencing a completely different thing where they are wondering how to keep their kids entertained beyond those three-hour Zoom classes or sometimes hour, half an hour Zoom classes in a lot of the countries, in a lot of the cities. So we're experiencing a lot of boundary violation, if I have to give it just a term, that seems to be causing a lot of distress at workplace. Secondly, then I want to hear from you as to what do you think has been happening, is there's a lot of issues that are coming up because you see, at a workplace, again, by the design of workplace, it being a physical location, it was designed to eventually build trust between teams. Because you would see people would go, there would be water cooler chats, you would know about each of those families. The conversation sometimes is 40 minutes, 50 minutes, hour, two hour lunches that you will get with a colleague. That was amazing, right? Because you could go in there and you could really learn about somebody and you became friends at work. Now, it stayed for the people who were already at work together. But companies are always recruiting. Team members are always joining. They're moving forward, moving on. The new people that are coming in, the onboarding is getting really difficult for companies that are not aware of this. Even HR teams are reaching out. And, and that's why coaching is becoming more and more evident and more and more asked for is because we don't even know how to build trust virtually with different team members that are just onboarding. It was easy to be virtual with a team that you already trusted 
what if your team has to change? It has to evolve. It has to get new people. It is becoming increasingly difficult for them to build the same camaraderie that was previously slightly more easier. So those are some of the bigger observations, the bigger trends that we are seeing. What are you observing, Jason? Well, I mean, I see the same thing. And when this whole thing started, I remember Mindvalley asked me to create a course when it came to, you know, working remotely. And one of the first things I, I was talking about is how to actually set environmental boundaries and time boundaries. And it seems to me like over the years, and, you know, we'd look at how we were raised going to school was like, we go to school, we go to classes, classes are timed. And it's almost like our whole boundary setting, you know, muscle had been completely outsourced to being something directed externally. Like the bell would ring at school, that would be the boundary. You know, we'd be with our parents and obviously when we were children, the parents are the ones who set our boundaries. You can't be on your phone so long, don't play video games so long, don't watch the TV so long. And so again, you're relying on the external to set the boundaries. And what did we do for those of us that went into the work with the nine to five? Everyone likes slamming the nine to five, but it was been the biggest liberation tool, as you said, for the people. And when you're working from home now, it's almost like you need to take control of boundaries yourself. And it's not even for the workplace here. Like I know for myself, this was a book that I picked up from Dr. Henry Cloud, the book Boundaries, which talks about how to set those in every area of your life, because I just didn't feel like I was that good at doing that because it was always outsourced in my life. And so when people are now working from home and you're seeing this lack of boundaries, it seems like it's this very worn out or not even used muscle. And so I'd be curious to know within the practice that you do with the coaching, what are some of the things you suggest for people when it comes to, you know, practicing this muscle and being able to be comfortable saying no in a place where, as you said, the fear is so prevalent and people are so uncertain, they feel like, wow, I need to say yes to everything or I'll be out the door. Well, what we teach, and this is something that is also contextual to our conversation, is we're releasing a new certification program for leaders to develop a skill called coaching, which is under Certified Business Coaches. It's co-developed under the Evercoach brand, which is a partner company of Mindvalley. And we are releasing as the point of this, while we're releasing or recording this podcast, the program is just about to release. And people who are interested in developing the skill can always go to evercoach.com slash CBC to get further details. But let me tell you one of the core principles that we really talk about in that certification, which is useful for anyone in context of boundary setting or just developing coaching as a skill. You see, one of the things that were developed about 2000 years ago by Aristotle is something that is called first principle thinking. First principle thinking basically leans onto the fact that if you can break down any complex problem to the fundamental facts and truths of life, you can solve the problem completely differently. And it becomes a really, really useful tool to just know that and have an understanding on how to do that in life. Because what happens usually is we as human beings are designed to look at somebody else and find the answer. It's called understanding things by analogy, which means if Jason uses a particular mic, I should have a particular mic right? If Jason has a podcast, I should have a podcast. If Jason is saying you should do blank, I should do blank, right? All of these are learning by analogy and it's useful in the day-to-day activities of the world. But at the same point of time, when you are trying to fully realize what's true and not true for yourself, it kind of falls flat on the face. It also falls flat on the face when the challenge is too complex. A few years ago, about 10, 12 years ago, when Elon Musk decided that he wanted to go space travel, right? He wanted to colonize Mars. He said, okay, what do I need to do to colonize Mars? He said, well, I'm going to need rocket ships because I need to go to space. And for that, I need rocket ships. So he went around and said, hey, how can I buy a rocket ship? Well, it turns out if you go out to the marketplace, open market, 
And as for a rocket ship, it's going to cost you $65 million for just one rocket. Of course, to go to Mars, you had to develop a whole plan. And so you needed many rockets, not just one, maybe hundreds of rockets. And he was like, I have money, but not that kind of money. Like he didn't have that kind of money at that time. So he said, what is it that I can do to be able to resolve this challenge that I don't have $65 million, but I want to do space travel? So he walked around and he found out what are the fundamental truths and facts about building a rocket. What is the material cost? What kind of engineering does it take? What kind of scientists does it take? And he found, and it took him maybe two, three years to find this, but what he found was that he could actually produce a whole rocket for one-tenth the price, almost one-tenth the price, which means he reduced his cost of goods by 10 times simply by asking questions that will lead you to foundational facts and principles. That is how you develop better boundaries. That is how you develop better systems for yourself. You have to start asking yourself more fundamental questions. And here's a very simple process. There's much more layers of complexity when it comes to human life and work environments. And we cover that in the Certified Business Coach program that we talked about. But let me give a simple, simple tool that anybody can use right away, straight away as a follow-up to this conversation that we are having, Jason. And this is what we give away for people to just simply go ahead and implement first principle thinking and first principle coaching in context of their team members. Is simply start asking why more frequently and more often and many times. So why is it that your boss is asking you to do something at 9 p.m.? You will find an answer to that. Then you would go, okay, why is it that he believes that to be a certain reality? So say, for example, let me give an example just to extrapolate this really quickly, right? I know we are limited by time. So say, for example, your boss is assigning you work at 6 p.m. in the evening, right? You're overworking because of that. So you go, why is that happening? It may be because your boss thinks that you have nothing else to do and nothing else is on your calendar because you're sitting at home. Why does he believe that? He believes that because maybe you delivered many tasks before after 6 p.m. in the evening and you constantly are replying to emails or connecting on the social community of the company. So he assumes that there is no reason for you to not be able to deliver that extra slide for the presentation. Well, why is it that you are engaging in conversation post 6 p.m.? Is it something that you are trying to avoid in your work environment? Are you trying to avoid something at your house? Are you trying to avoid loneliness? Are you trying to avoid interaction with your family because you feel overwhelmed about it? Now see, by this point, we've already found out that there might be something that's happening with you that is sending out a message that may be reflecting to your boss who unknowingly is probably assigning you something that is at a very unreasonable time. Now, once you've discovered what is happening for you, you may ask further why to really understand why you're feeling lonely? Why are you feeling isolated? Well, one obvious answer could be, well, because there's a pandemic happening, Ajit, what do you mean? But is there things that you could do? Are there things that you could do to still be in control of your life? Could you go for a run? Could you put a better health goal in front of you? Could you take up a hobby so you are distracting your mind and giving your brain more creative time? Could you build a communication style between your friends and family your loved ones, even your boss, which allows you to put some responsibility and share some of this responsibility with them to give you that space to stay creative, stay productive, stay high energy, and not burn yourself out over the course of time. Now, this is a really, really simple, general, quick example that I'm giving. You could take this just wise journey. It was actually made popular by Toyota many years ago for solving engineering problems. 
it was called the five eyes. You might have to do more than five eyes because human problem is way more complex than the engineering problem. But you will be able to find where you're coming from. And so you can build a completely new solution. I love that you basically go right to the root and you give the responsibility back to the individual, which I think is the big part of when it comes to boundaries is we feel that, again, if we've been trained that it was somebody else always setting them on you, if you're not the one taking your own responsibility over it and questioning and realizing why is it that you're being so fluid with your own boundaries, you're not in the process of learning. And so I love that this can be applied. You can ask the five whys. It gets you deeper into your understanding. And I wanted to ask also because I feel like there sometimes is also a cultural element when it comes to like looking at the company as a whole, because I can see where if I'm using too much time in the day, I can ask the why process and realize maybe spots that I'm wasting time, spots where I realize that if I don't have a cutoff time, I'm expanding the time. And here I'm thinking, I think it's called Parkinson's law is if we say we're going to have 16 hours in the day, well, we're going to take 16 hours in the day to do anything. So we're not even putting constraints on our time and such, but culturally, what are things that we should be aware of? And you, you talk about all these issues from the HR team as well. What are some issues that we're seeing? Maybe that it's kind of a prevalent toxic culture where the boss is not understanding that. Like perhaps it's at the leadership level that they're working all the time. They're expecting the whole team to work all the time. And is this, is this something you should be aware of? Is it something that's gotten worse? And like, what should we look at when it comes to if leadership doesn't necessarily promote the culture of understanding that we need to take care of that health element? There's, and I'd love to hear your input as well, because you're so close to all of these research and conversations. But here's what I believe. Usually, there are two ways to look at a toxic culture or a toxic boss. The first, always the first answer that I have is if you're absolutely sure that the boss is toxic and the company is toxic and the culture is toxic, leave as fast as you can. That company does not deserve to survive if they're not willing to change and look at their own toxic culture. It's as simple as that. I don't believe a great product can come out of a toxic company. It'll be a toxic product, which means it's bad for the environment, it's bad for humanity, it's bad for people. We don't want that generally for our world, or so is my belief. And so first answer is if you're absolutely sure that the leader is toxic and he's not being fired for being toxic, if your company culture is toxic, leave. You are better than that. You will find a better company. It may feel painful immediately, but in the long run, a better human always survives and thrives. So you will, you're in the Mind Valley ecosystem. You're getting great trainings. You're getting great learnings. You're listening to an amazing podcast. You are going to grow and you will get a way better job than you are at right now. That is my belief, firstly, around toxic culture and toxic leadership. A lot of times what happens is a company or not even a company, mostly a leader, when it's a toxic leader, it is because of situational toxicity, which means they're not always a toxic leader. They have certain habits that are not very healthy for the rest of the team. Say if there's a leader who is generally a really good leader, but just does not understand boundaries. That person may be assumed to be toxic, but he's not a toxic leader. He is just somebody who doesn't understand something and needs that expansiveness. One of the things that we have understood after working with tons of companies, especially at executive levels, is that when you let people talk, and when, again, you do the same thing that we talked about, and there's another process that's called SAEA, which we discussed in a class that I just recorded vision that is also playing this week. We can hyperlink it somewhere below show notes in this podcast episode. You could go and check out that masterclass. That entire process is explained there. It's called SAEA. It's, again, based on first principle coaching, like I was talking about. But what that 
process does is it creates a situation on people actually having communication with each other. A lot of times, a good leader, a great leader, would actually be willing to listen. The problem is we are scared to go talk to them. We feel that our jobs will be threatened or we will be threatened. Here's one great thing about leaders, and you can read any leadership book, whichever writer you like. Every great leader loves a good debate. They love a good conversation where they don't know if they're right or wrong, and they're willing to listen to the other side. They may have an egoic wall because, again, that conversation needs to be had, but they will eventually come around and say, thank you for doing that. I hear you, and let me take that to make me better as a person. I remember, Jason, and you've seen many phases of me because you've been in Mind Valley for so long. You've been in Mind Valley for so long. But there was a point in my life I wasn't able to listen to a lot of things that people would tell me. That didn't make me a toxic leader. That made me a person who was not ready to hear it, who was in a toxic place himself and needed that journey for him to be able to rediscover himself and create a better leadership style for himself. And I, and I went through that. And there were leaders and people, people like you as well, Jason, who educated me to be better. And I became better. And I'm a better leader today. I'm a leadership coach today. And that is thanks to because I was willing to listen. Any good leader is willing to listen. Any great leader is willing to listen. So identify if it is a company that is toxic, the culture is toxic, the person's toxic, or it is a toxic situation they're going through. And then what can you do to communicate that the person can be better? Because in all probability, see, and I'm sure Jason, you agree to this, like 90, 95, 98% of people in this world are trying to do good. They're not trying to do bad. They may have a different belief than us, but they're trying to be better, trying to do good for themselves, trying to do good for the society. They're not necessarily bad people trying to do bad things, which means 98% of leaders are good people trying to do good things. We may have a disagreement, but that doesn't mean we are bad people. We just have different set of values, different set of beliefs, and we can talk through that. It's possible if we can have that dialogue. The challenge is we don't have the dialogue. What is your experience, Jason? As you're saying this, I think it's all truth you're going through all around. So yes, I 100% agree. And it's amazing because I'm currently going through one of the quests at Mindvalley, which is on integral theory, right? Which is Ken Wilber's work. And a lot of it, he, he was speaking about a process, the cleaning up process, which is where, you know, internally, we all have this shadow side, we all have these parts of ourselves that we might deny. And a lot of times, if there's any negative traits that we have within ourselves, let's say, there's a part of us that we feel is controlling, or a part of us that we feel is greedy, like all these things that we typically don't want to associate it, but are kind of all part of the human experience. If you strongly deny it, you end up projecting it on anybody else. And so I love what you said about the leader. Not only do the leaders also being human, you know, I think it was Tim Urban did a graph is like the more you know people, like at the beginning, you at least there see people as angels or demons, you know, and the longer time you know these people, you realize they're all human. So when you actually have this part where you project a double dose of control and a double dose of toxicity onto other people, again, you're not taking responsibility. You're really putting all of those things you decline within your own shadow onto that leadership. It's even more difficult for them because now you're actually not even looking at them through a true lens. So your leaders are also human. They're also doing you know, some work. They're also figuring things out just like you are. And sometimes I feel like we often expect them to have all the answers when a lot of times we're making it hard because you're not having that dialogue, as you've mentioned. And, you know, speaking about the fact that I get to speak to so many people when it comes to leadership, team management, et cetera, 
the biggest thing that always comes back is, you know, the leadership style, if I'm working with physical labor, you know, if I'm working with people that need to execute a replicable process that doesn't require much cognition, we're talking here about, you know, the Taylorism, you know, the whole movement of management that happened with Ford creating supply chains and, and like automation, like factories where all the process were taskified, very similar, very small, and everybody just swing the hammer, swing the hammer then, you know, more hours equals more output. And everything you're seeing now is this is not where the majority of the value from your employees comes from. It's from the knowledge economy. And the absolute opposite happens where if you're just trying to squeeze every juice from an employee by making them work more and more hours, you're not actually increasing the output. You're actually decreasing the availability of our prefrontal cortex because we're just in this fight or flight mode, stress mode. We can't be as creative. We can't take the time to ask those questions, as you said, the why. Now you start going to the root of the problems that you solve within your company. Because if you're bringing people on your team, there's obviously some problems that you want to solve and opportunities you want to take. And so the more you grow your team, the more you want to have people that can come in and have that creative ability that can solve these problems, even beyond what your capacity is. And so if you're getting everyone working all the time, then you're just going to have people replicating similar tasks, not taking advantage of the human element that can be creative, that can go and create some amazing things out there. And I think that's everywhere that I interview anyone, that's what we're seeing. And in the workspace, as soon as people are feeling safe, feeling secure psychologically, then you can start challenging ideas. You can start building bridges and conversations with your leadership team. And you start having a company that's actually having a culture that encourages people to take care of their health, that encourages them to do their best to grow. And now you're not having that toxicity spill over just because you didn't feel psychologically safe. And there's a lot of work to be done on the self and that's really all we can control. So I love that you always bring that back as the fundamental is to look at how we can take control of the situation, set those boundaries, ask the why's, and really be sure that we're at our best. Even as these boundaries have been eliminated, now we get to take control ourselves. So I think it's a beautiful thing. Thank you. Thank you for that, Jason. And I want to kind of round that out, everything that you said for, with a quote that Buckminster Fuller gave. It was, you can't solve the problem by looking at the problem. You solve the problem by creating a new vision of where you want to go. I'm paraphrasing him. And that also reminds me of what you were talking about. And this is, again, a brain research that was done. I don't remember the name of the study as we speak, but it suggests that and this, anybody can relate to this example. Think about the last time you had the best idea. You were probably in the shower, taking a walk, taking a run, or something where you were actually not doing anything. We need to bring boring time back, as I call it. We need to bring I am bored time back. You come up with such great ideas because you're letting your brain process all the data it has already received that it doesn't get time to process because it's always reacting. And the worst enemy we have found is in our phones because the moment we get free, like the moment we are five seconds free, we pull up our phone, open something. It doesn't have to be social media. It's something. We're listening to another thing, doing another thing, writing another task, doing something taking away the possibility of our brain to simply say, let me connect all the dots of information that I've collected all this while to solve that challenge that this person's facing for such a long time. So I really, really, really invite, because of the circumstance that we are in, we do have the space to create boring time. Go ahead, take a walk. Go ahead, take a longer shower. Go ahead, go for that run or that hike without a friend, 
just by yourself, without a book, without a podcast even, I know, without anything, just give yourself some space and you will find so much better solution and increase your performance by a huge margin. I think we're like the only podcast that's going to tell people you should listen to less podcasts here. But you're so right, though. Like, if you think about it, we even look at an episode like the social dilemma, right? Being that, hey, we have these wonderful tools in social media. Yet when it goes beyond the use that you want to control yourself, it's when it becomes a problem. And I think a lot of people having such a high performance culture, we're always trying to cram more and more and more and not having that downtime, not having that processing time, which is so critical to be able to get you to be in that creative space and really get you out of that fight and flight response and really go and do some massive impact. Ajit, thank you so much for coming on the show and having this important conversation. I hope for everybody listening, you're identifying some of the patterns that might be happening within your own work environment, and now you have a few ways that you can go about it. Yes, when we transformed to working at home, we all went through a honeymoon period. And with that, it was really fun, but then when reality sets in where we didn't have any more boundaries between the family, the workplace, the home, the environment, you want to make sure that you start exercising this a bit more. So when you start looking at anything that's causing a problem, whether it's your work is keeping you up so late, use the process that Ajit spoke about, asking the why, being such an important question and really looking for the root cause of the issue. And when you first identify the first why, keep asking the why and drilling down to what would be the core issue of what's happening. If you've trained your colleagues and your boss to expect you to be able to deliver work at a late time, this could have been because you've actually delivered that work before. And so have conversations with the team, explain to them the boundaries that you want to set and understand that you can operate from a place of love, not just fear. Because if you're from a fear place, not only are you going to vanish your boundaries, but you're not going to be as productive, focusing on the most important things that really move the needle for the company. So bring bridges to all the colleagues, to all of the supervisors, so you can have conversations of what are the most impactful things you can do and why it's necessary for you to have those time boundaries. Of course, look into your own process of coaching because there might be some internal issues you would be looking at that you're trying to deal with and you're using that work as a crutch. So again, it comes back to you. When it comes to the culture of the company, have a look at the toxicity that could exist, but understand that a lot of it could come from you as the source. What are the sides of yourself that you want to look into, that you want to integrate? The shadow work is going to make you project a double dose of toxicity on the bosses, on the culture, anybody who is slightly maybe showing traits of the things that you might dislike within yourself, you'll amplify the effects on them, knowing that, guess what? Your leaders are human too. Your leaders are adjusting too. Your leaders are stressed and they're dealing with some pressures as well. And so extending some compassion and understanding that we're all in the same boat. And if we start having conversations in a safe environment, you can actually see that you can have changes happen. Unless you see there's absolutely no change that can happen in that toxicity and it's very real, then of course, Ajit suggests maybe this is time that your amazing talents should be used to really push humanity forward and make a great impact in the world. But knowing that we have the power, we can make these changes, we can set boundaries. And as we're demanded to work from our minds more than our hands, these spaces that we can create to have peace, to be able to have that time in the shower, to have these ideas come up is so important. And being bored is not as bad a thing as we imagine it to be. So let's get comfortable with that and make sure that we take care of our health as we continue to be superhumans at work. For those of you who want to discover more about Ajit's coaching process and how to bring transformational leaders to embrace the element of coaching, which is such a critical aspect of being a great leader today, make sure you look in the show notes. We're going to have a link to that program so you can discover more and really make sure that you're well-equipped to navigate 2020 and beyond. Thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in to Superhumans at Work. And Ajit, thanks again for all your wisdom. 
Thanks again for tuning in to Superhumans at Work, which is always brought to you by Mindvalley. Know that All Access is our greatest offer where all of amazing quests in every area of your life are made available for you for under $2 a day. Simply go to mindvalley.com forward slash superhuman, and then you'll get a chance to uncover all of the available journeys that you can go through to improve every single area of your life. mindvalley.com forward slash superhuman is where you'll get all the information and you'll get to see what it's like to be part of a tribe of people looking to always improve and do the best possible in the world by starting with themselves. Thanks so much for tuning in and until next time, stay superhuman. My name is Jason Campbell and this is Superhumans at Work, a Mind Valley podcast. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.